Welcome to episode 506 of The Sleeper in the Bust. It is Thursday, November 16th. I'm your host, Paul Spohr, joined by both Eno Stairs and our producer, whose birthday it is, Justin Mason. What's up, guys? Happy birthday. Happy birthday to me. Happy birthday to me. No, that's enough of that song. Justin, for your birthday, you're going to get Giancarlo Stanton on the Giants, right? Uh, I I would love to. Uh, And my wife would really love to because she thinks he's really cute. (laughs) Damn good looking dude. I don't think you can have eyes and not understand that that's that that's the situation here so we will talk a little bit about uh the, the giancarlo stanton rumors uh, a lot of little news bits here and there cover some pieces that eno's been writing uh and actually wrap up some with some afl final thoughts because when we had done our pod we hadn't had the all-star game yet which is really where we get to see a lot of these guys up close and personal unfortunately justin couldn't make it would you have like a, a brother or friend who doesn't know how to schedule a wedding yeah, my, my twin brother uh, got married that weekend, and I was very, very upset at him. I'm also very, very upset at all the people who were there because I was trying to bribe people to drop in that I'm the, the best part of the podcast now that I've joined, but nobody did it. <laughs> they failed you. They did not come through with your birthday present of telling you that you were the best part of the podcast, but it's clear that you are uh, Eno's second, uh, and I'm actually ninth. Charlotte rated ahead of me <laughs> the times that she barks. It was it was a it was a humbling poll to Good see barks. that. Yeah. And uh, even my stand up desk that sometimes goes off and, and, and starts making a noise, that was seventh. And so I just I don't know, man. I created the poll. I thought it would be favorable for me, and it just really went sideways. But uh, let's talk some news here. Let's start with the Ryan Healy trade, since that is more concrete, and then we'll get to Stanton. Uh Eno, your boy, who I who I like to say I, I megaphoned. You found him, you turned me on, and I just started shouting at everybody that they need to get on the Ryan, Ryan Healy train. I look at what Ryan Healy did in, in 2017, I consider that a win. The price that was paid, even with the amplification of this podcast, uh, you know, kind of talking him up, certainly didn't raise him to a price that was uh, untenable, and he hit 25 homers, 78 ribbies, 271 average, 66 runs. He's now headed to Seattle uh, for couple minor prospects i think amelia pagan was the one that the name that i'd seen before but nothing major uh, i think that kind of speaks to this market that we've now seen the last couple years with the power with 25 homers kind of being somewhat pedestrian uh we didn't see a lot of it in the free agent market with guys like trumbo and batista and edwin Encarnacion last year not getting what they wanted and now a trade like this you see hey that's a that's a guy you can start every day and, and has some legitimate pop but he doesn't bring a whole lot you know, what do you think of Healy to Seattle? Uh, I, you know, I didn't at first glance, I didn't think they got back enough, but there's a bit of a roster crunch situation there with Olsen, Matt Olsen being ready for the prime time and, and a full time job at first base in Oakland. Matt Chapman being their stud at third base with Renato. fantastic defense, by the way. So that right. he really trumps Healy. Chapman does in that aspect. Yeah. And then, you know, they've got. Guys like Renato Nunez coming up, I thought Healy could just DH for them, but I guess apparently they want to put Chris Davis at eight, at uh, at DH. Uh, that has some implications because it's harder to DH than play in the field, but it may actually help him a little bit, uh, Davis, because he wrote this whole article on the Players' Tribune about the creature and the problems that he's had throwing the ball. His mental... So, block with his arm yeah yeah so maybe he just frees himself of that and is able to you know maintain the same level of uh of offense that he's had so 
Um, you know, Davis to DH, that opens up a little bit of time in the outfield. Maybe Nunez can play somewhere uh, in the short term. I don't think he's a long-term outfielder, but um, it, it opens up some some playing time. And also, like, Nunez can come up in DH. He's out of options. So if they want to see him, they got to DH him and sort of maybe uh, uh, do some playing time there. So Nunez gets a little bit of bump in possible playing time this year. Um, and, and I think Healy gets a little bit of bump down. I'm not sure he'll get to 605 plate appearances. He is slotted right now uh, to be the first baseman in Seattle, mm-hmm. and Seattle plays just about as evenly for a right-handed power bat as Oakland does, so there shouldn't be too much of a problem there. The only thing I could see is that the offseason's not over, and although you know nobody's safe in Oakland and you can trade it at a moment's notice in Oakland, um, he just went to the other place where, you know, Trader Joe or Jerry, Trader, Trader Jerry, Jerry. Just, just getting going. In fact, he made a second deal, a little bit of a smaller deal that we're going to get to in a little bit. Like, uh, you're, you're right. I mean, Healy himself could end up being dealt, let alone other guys. As Justin points right. out on the chat, uh, is this Rip Dan Vogelbach, who they didn't really give a shot to? What, what does Healy's arrival in Seattle mean for Vogelbach? I hope that it doesn't mean a platoon. Uh, you know, I think a strict platoon at first base is a dicey situation for a team. You start to have a roster crunch if you're actually gonna do- you're actually gonna have two people um, always, uh, you know, dedicated to first base. I think even in the past, when the Mariners have been kind of a platoon at first base, they've played their guys in other places. Like Danny mm-hmm. Valencia did not just play first base. If I'm incorrect, I will apologize, but. Um, you know, yeah, Danny Valencia that. had a, a little bit of uh, little positional outfield, versatility. Little outfield, one game at third. He he didn't play as much third as he had in the past, but of course they have Kyle Seager over there. He certainly could have, though. Valencia was not 100% limited to first base, whereas I do think Healy Vogelbach is really, they're both first base DH. And actually, they're DH first base. I would put the first base part second. But then you got Nelson Cruz there, who's kind of a perma DH. So that kind of muddies it up as well. And, you know, like I said, it's not like Vogelbach has really gotten any sort of opportunity yet. He has 44 major league plate appearances, but he's going to be 25 years old and he is kind of a DH. Maybe he's the guy who Jerry then turns around and, and, and flips elsewhere. What would you think about that? That's true. Uh, the only thing, like I said, the only thing that makes me worry is that Healy's been 35% better than league average against lefties and 2% better than league average against righties for his career. So um, they might have acquired him for that. Uh, on the other hand, two percent against uh, league, two percent better than league average against righties. You know that's still decent if you're talking about, um, you know, smashing lefties and and being in there against righties. Maybe he takes occasional seat. He took the occasional seat in Oakland as well, where mm-hmm. he only had 149 games. So I don't know. Uh, I think probably I'd be steady on him. I think there's still potential for a little bit of power growth for him. Uh, I could see him having settling in at like a 200 ISO. 27 home runs in a full given season. I'm just, uh, I guess I'm, I'm a little bit disappointed that the plate discipline hasn't ever grown um, and that he hasn't either paired that with better contact or better patience. So if he's going to settle in at 4% walk rate and, you know, 22% strikeout rate, that's uh, that's going to limit his upside in a lot of leagues. He's just not going to get on base enough and he's not going to be somebody that a team depends on. Yeah, and, and again, that's Ryan Healy there that need to see maybe a little bit more of the development to maybe move him from what he is right now, which is corner infield slash utility in fantasy leagues. You really don't want him as your starting uh, first or third baseman, but at least he does have both 
uh, eligibilities there, AL only leagues. You can certainly see how that would be helpful. Of course, I'm talking mixed when I say that you really don't want him uh, at the other spots. Let's move on to Stanton. Uh, the rumors are flying. You wrote a great piece, really kind of diving in on the value because everyone talks about the money and they throw out the big numbers. Out. Ten years, th- 300 mil. You know that's that's immovable. First off, there's no. I, I firmly believe there's no such thing as an immovable contract. You can figure it out somehow. Now you may take a lot of pain if you're the team trading it if uh you know like the tigers tried to sell low on a on a cabrera or something like that but bronson arroyo's contract got moved like nine times in a single year anyone can be moved in the right deal that said this is not some slug that we're trying to move yes it's a lot of money but it's g and carl freaking stanton he's an absolute monster now there was some reporting suggesting that he had he had eliminated some teams from uh, from consideration, but I couldn't find that corroborated. In fact, I found something to the contrary from Evan Drellick suggesting that he hasn't ruled out any teams, though, as you would expect, Stanton certainly has preferences. Those preferences really seem to lean west. San Francisco has been linked from the jump. This is another thing that I, I, I think people um, need to kind of get their head around. Unless I understand they don't have a great farm system. But with the vast amount of players that every team has in their organization, you can come up with the right package to get just about anybody. Now, it won't be headlined. It'll be more of a quantity over quality sort of deal with San Francisco. But even their farm system, as as lowly as it is, the front office scouting for the Marlins can find five, six guys that they would want. And maybe they get a major leaguer with it. Like, so that that part can happen. You know, what do you think of Giancarlo Stanton getting traded? Do you think it's... First off, what would you put the percentage at? And then let's talk about some of the specifics. How, how likely do you think it is that Stanton gets traded? Yeah, it's funny. I've seen some people put it as 70% he stays because of the disagreement on the open market when it comes to his value and, and, to, and on the trade market. Um, and then I've seen, you know, uh, Dave Cameron just recently put it at 20% to remain. And, um, you know, splitting almost evenly between sort of St. Louis, Boston and San Francisco I, I think that it's this is the hardest part of the offseason, and I generally recommend that people don't uh, try to anticipate moves like this and mm-hmm. get a guy. Like, don't get a guy thinking he'll end up in Colorado, that sort of deal. Um, don't uh, don't anticipate moves like that, because I think that a lot of t- I think we're surprised a lot of times. All the time. Yeah, right. I totally agree. And um, in, in, in particular, with this with this deal. I think that if you think he's going to age poorly, which is a defensible position, it's not necessarily one I have, but I can see it. Uh, you know, I think that some of why we think he's going to age poorly is clouded by the fact he was hit in the face by a pitch. If he's not hit in the face by that pitch and has a healthy season that year, he's been healthy in five out of eight seasons. Um, you know, and the other ones, yeah, he had some knee and hamstring stuff, but sure. he's coming off a healthy season. So. Uh, other people point out his size, uh, also possible reason to to age poorly. Uh, but there's also this option that could work out in the team's favor if he has three good years and, and options his way out. That might be a good situation for a team that's like, well, we got the three good years and we didn't have be, to pay for the bad years. So That'd be perfect for a I team think, because he yeah. does have the opt out. He could leave, like you said, after putting up three good years or even – Two great years if if one of them is that last year, right? The walk yeah. is the one that really matters. Uh, you know, theoretically, he could be crappy this year, 
bam, bam, two great years, and then he would still be open to leaving depending on how the market shook out. Obviously, that's something that we can't even we, – we can't predict the, where the free agents are going to go right now. I'm not going to try to get into three years of of a potential opt-out, but it's in there. And you did a really good breakdown of, of how this uh, contract could evolve in terms of his projected war versus how much uh, m- money per war, per win uh, the market's likely to put pay versus the estimated contract and you ended up with an estimate that suggested hey this is not some you know over the top deal that even when he hits his decline in the mid 30s that he's going to be a total piece of garbage what did you find with the uh, with the contract estimates on Stanton yeah if you if you age him poorly uh, according to our contract calculator and you use the dollars per win that Matt Swartz wrote about this year around 9 million per if you age him poorly and you use the current the current um, number for for per win, then he's then his contract should be three hundred million. So, you know, basically that's what teams have said. If you've seen the rumors, teams have said he's he's he he's got the contract he would get in free agency this year. Mm-hmm. Um, the dot the, the Marlins on the other hand are saying, hey, if you age him normally, his contract should be four hundred million. So we see that there's a hundred million of surplus in there. Um, and so that's, I think, the negotiating position. Uh, to, to muddle things further, uh, there's two things. One is there's no five-win player on the market this year. You cannot buy a five-win five player and you cannot acquire a five-win player. There is no five-win player that you can acquire either through prospects or like a trade or through, uh, through buying, uh, through free agency. So that means that he's singular and rare and that there's going to be some cost to step to the table. Even if he's only worth his contract, you have to pay to get him because he's the only one, right? Mm -hmm. So there's some, there's some cost, even if it was, there was no surplus, there's some cost to that. Second, you're noticing that the teams that are in the luxury tax are the ones that are interested in talking to the Marlins. And this is because they cannot, if they sign a player, they they lose if they sign a big free agent they lose their second round pick that's the new collective bargaining agreement situation so they lose their second round pick the second round pick is worth 10 to 15 million dollars so whatever surplus you come up with they have to at least come up with a prospect that's worth that 10 to 15 million dollars plus a prospect that gets them to the table so you know for the giants if if they say we'll take on all the money and nobody else is saying we'll take on all the money cuz some of the other teams are saying you have to pay that down to get a good prospect if people think the Giants don't have a good prospect, what they can say is, we'll take on all the money. We, you know, we'll take on all the money. We'll give you this guy, Helio Ramos, who's an 18-year-old in rookie ball that people are talking about and people are, you know, putting in in, in trades uh, who had like a 1,000 OPS in rookie ball. Um, you know, we'll put this guy in. He's not really on top 100 list yet, so it's hard to value him. But we'll put this guy in. And we'll throw in an, uh, another arm and we'll give you Denard Span for a year. And the reason you give him Denard Span for a year is that that cuts the $10 million. You know, that's almost like the Marlins giving them $10 million. And, um, and it also uh, gives them a player to run out there. And uh, it makes the package, you know, here's three players. We get Stanton. We're going to pay the whole deal. So I think that would get the Giants to the table. That might be one of the better offers right now if the Marlins don't want to throw $50, $70 million uh, at this deal to get better prospects. So they absolutely should, though. I, I think if you come out with an 18-year-old in Denard Span as your opening salvo as the new Jeter ownership group, you are putting yourself 10 steps behind before you even throw 
uh, a single pitch as as the uh, as the front office here. I think that would actually be terrible. well. There's there's a, uh, also uh, another way that uh, the Giants have been signaling that they're willing to trade Panic or Crawford, and that um, you get Panic or something because then you can move Gordon and try to get uh, a little bit more of an impact prospect. Uh, prospect yeah. then. I mean, there's 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 a, a couple different ways this go. I would say that yes, the uh, the Giants probably have the worst uh, uh, package to offer. But you know, if if they do a three team deal where Crawford or Panic go somewhere else and the prospects go to Miami, that's a possibility. Oh, that would work. Too. I like I like that idea. By the way, Justin, a known Giants fan, um, he makes a lot of bad choices. Uh, says Ramos is going to be a stud. So yeah, I mean, he, he's he's exciting. Um, and he, he was, was there the first round, pick. yeah, nineteenth yeah, overall pick this year. Yeah, so, but uh, we'll we'll you know there's there's a, a lot of off season left. You'd have to think that the Red Sox and Dodgers have a little bit more to offer in terms of prospects, but maybe they're having a harder line on money because they um, had more payroll outlay uh, than the Giants. So there's a there's a lot going on. I do know this: the Giants seem more desperate than they have in the past to make a big deal. Certainly. They're putting panic on the Crawf- and Crawford on the table is something they haven't done in the past. Uh, so I definitely watch them. Stanton, I don't think, would actually suffer that much in San Francisco. You're talking about a guy leaving the Marlins Stadium, which is a tough place to play. And right-handed power, in particular, doesn't suffer as much in AT&T as Bingo. left-handed power. You're not hitting it into that triples alley ridiculousness that they should actually fix. Um, I'm sorry, to, I have to go on record with that one. But, but yeah, uh, I mean, that, that, that area is so crazy. It, yeah. it makes what Bonds did. They should have been – the league should have been giving him PEDs just to overcome <laughs> that part. There should have been a certain it's ration like, of, here, you can take this amount just to cover, just to get you back to normal on that ridiculous right field. It's like 420 to, to the right yeah, to the right field power alley. It's With like cute. 900 miles per hour wind blowing in on and most like nights off the bay. And foot walls. I mean, it's just like – yeah. Uh, yeah, uh, J- Justin mentions that he loves those seats. That park is amazing. It, it, yeah. It's spectacular. I'm just saying it's so difficult. But I agree. Right-handed, he, Stanton especially is not going to really feel feel that. Obviously, people I, are like, let's get him to Colorado somehow. That'd be a dream. But he would still make uh, AT&T Park look silly. That's just I, the kind of power that he has. I, I translated Ryan Braun's numbers to San Francisco as a backup plan. If they okay. You know, if they can get the Brewers to do it for not much, you know, they take on, you know, some of that contract. Uh, um, you know, Ryan Braun is not going to be a league average player for the rest of his contract. So you, you're, you're wondering why anybody would want him, really. Uh, the thing is, the Giants left fielders are projected to be worst in the big leagues and almost a win under replacement. So getting getting a guy who can put up a win and a half next year in left field would be a major accomplishment for them. So Plus, you anyway, know, that, that's – oh, I, when I translated the numbers for Braun, sorry. When I translated the numbers for Braun, he lost three homers. So – Exactly. Yeah. Like, and every time it looks that's like – That's Milwaukee to go to – yeah. It, you know, every time it looks like, ah, you know, he had a tough season, maybe Braun's going to start to break down. He rebounds with 130 OPS plus or something. So maybe we'll see that again. Remember, he had the buck 13 in an injury shortened season in 2014, then went 131, 135, and then this year's 111. Obviously, at age 34, I'm not expecting some big sort of rebound, but that would be a pretty solid backup plan to go for Ryan Braun if they don't uh, figure out a way to get Stanton. All right, you know, let's move on to the National League Rookie of the Year, and that's really the only – we're, we're going to talk a little bit about the uh, uh, Cy Youngs. I have them as MVPs in here. That was an accident. Um, 
But we're really going to focus on the the rookie of the year for the NL because you actually voted on that. That was the uh, for those that don't know, those in the BBWAA get uh, get a particular vote ballot every year. You have no idea what you're going to get, right? You know. Yeah, no idea. Yeah. So you ended up getting NL rookie of the year. Thankfully for you, it's an open book test. You couldn't you couldn't fail this one. And so we know Cody Bellinger was going to win. Of course he did. We're actually not going to talk about him. We've talked about him a lot already in the offseason uh, with them being in the playoffs and everything. So I want to focus on down ballot because in your piece, when you wrote up your ballot, you discussed how that was really the tough part. And first off, I really uh, applaud you for, for giving a damn about that and really taking the down ballot seriously because, uh, you know, you just you want to have the best ballot that you can. You were put in charge of that. Don't just uh, put all the names in a, in a hat after Bellinger. You really took it seriously. And Paul DeYoung, Reese Hoskins, and Luis Castillo were the three that you highlighted. And I want to talk a little bit more about them. Hoskins will probably get the, the shortest shift here. Castillo, we have to have any chance, take any chance we can to, to, uh, to gush over him. But Paul DeYoung is the, is the focus here because I really don't know what to make of him for, for 29, uh, 2018. He really did smack the ball, and that's how he overcame his very poor plate skills. Um, even Ryan Healy's like, dude, those plate skills, you really need to improve them. 28% strikeout rate, 5% walk. Uh, so he had a 350 Babbitt because he was clubbing the ball. 532 slug, 247 ISO, even a 285 batting average, which is probably the biggest outlier in that line. 25 homers in 443 plate appearances. Uh, how did Paul DeYoung stack up against Hoskins and Castillo with the equation that you were doing on that NL Rookie of the Year down ballot? Well, I think I might have messed up a little bit because DeYoung, when you add up his defensive and offensive uh, chances, had a lot more uh, chances to change the game than Hoskins and Castillo did. And Hoskins and Castillo were much closer. I would still, I think, take Hoskins over Castillo because Castillo – you know, was maybe like 20% better than league average and had about the same amount of chances as, as Hoskins. Um, you know, when you add up sort of uh, batter's face plus, you know, for, for Castillo I added up batter's face plus defensive chances and for mm -hmm. Hoskins uh, plate appearances plus defensive chances. So if you add those two, two up, there's only about 80 apart. So they were, they were similar in that they were kind of short season guys that were very good except Hoskins was like 35% better than league average with his bat. And Castillo was more like 20% better than league average with his, with his arm. So I, I feel good about picking Hoskins over Castillo, but I probably should have put DeYoung second. The problem was there was a bias, my bias. It's a bias that everybody that listens to this show is comfortable with. And it's people named Paul. Characters. You, you hate people <laughs> named Paul. Yeah. That bias always creeps up. That's how I finished ninth in the poll. But uh, looking to the future. So to some extent, you have to look to the future to think about things like how valuable is his defense? Like just, just because the defense comes in fewer chances, you know, we know that it's not a sticky year to year, that sort of stuff. You are sort of asking about how good is his defense in the past, now and in the future. That's that's a sort of a way of talking about it. However, my uh, uncomfortableness about De Jong's future should probably and not creep crept into making him third on the ballot. He probably should have been second. That's because fair. in terms of value that he gave his team last year, he was probably the second best rookie. Now he was even plus defensively, right? right? He had, he had yeah. some, like, not, not overwhelmingly, but definitely had some plus aspects to his defense at, at a great position shortstop. 
So that that bias, the fact that I think Hoskins is going to be better next year, that probably put Hoskins uh, second over third. Uh, or DeYoung third. I probably should have put DeYoung third, a uh, second, and Hoskins third. That's I don't think the biggest deal. It still puts Castillo on the outside, which is I think fine. He's still f- like the fourth best rookie for me. A very good pitcher at a time when we need it. Maybe an ace, uh, a guy that I I would defend you you picking him early. Um, you know I think he's uh, a great sort of number two three to pick uh, that might be an ace next year. So mm-hmm. there's nothing wrong with Castillo. Uh, I do think that what you talk about the strikeout to walk ratio for Dion that's that's worth pointing out. This is a I think an eye opening number. His uh, plate discipline last year, his strikeout to walk ratio, Paul Dion, it was 80th worst among the 15,580 player <laughs> seasons uh, since since the free free agency. No, of all time. Oh all my time. god. That's so insane. 80 worst out of 15,580. We're talking about the very, very worst, you know, 1% to 5%. So um, not even 1%. Dude, that's not even 1%. We're no, talking about that, the very worst 0.1%. Yeah, that's like, that's insane. <laughs> so so uh, I think this is a relevant thing. I did write about how there's more and more players like this as power helps them sort of uh, slug their way out of a bad plate discipline. However, Certainly. if he makes no improvements on a 5% walk rate and 28% strikeout rate, I just I either feel like they trade him or you know, he becomes a backup or you know, I you know, with this coming out of nowhere like this and I don't know. I, I any sort of regression when it comes to power and no progression when it comes to play discipline, and he's out of a job. I feel like so. So, Aledmus Diaz. Obviously, people are, are a little bit scared off of Paul DeYoung because of Aledmus Diaz. I'm not sure that that's entirely fair. They are two different players, of course, but they're both uh, emerging uh, St. Louis shortstops who had really strong rookie seasons. Now, De- Diaz's was certainly more bankable. DeYoung's. Obviously, has the plate skills staring everybody in the face. Justin has numbers here. He's 280 p in the early mock drafts. Do you think that's a fair price given the flaws of Paul DeYoung? Would you? That doesn't seem like an overwhelming tax for somebody that went 285 and 25 in 108 games, and uh, even accounting for the fact that I certainly don't think he's going to repeat. I think the uh, I think he could hit another 25, 30 homers in a full season, but with like a 250, 255 average. Would you pay average pick of, of 200 for Paul DeYoung, you know? Well, I think I think the easiest way to sort of answer this is uh, would you rather? Would you rather? Well, I would like you that. Rather, would you rather? Would you rather? Would you rather? We should turn that into a drop. That was amazing. <laughs> <laughs> I love so, uh, every second of that. <laughs> All right. I, I just sorted projections by WOBA. So okay. I, I, that's not uh, a great way to do things because fantasy is not WOBA. However, it is a decent shorthand, and it gives you at the top Korea, Seeger, Lindor, Turner as the top four. So, and uh, I didn't plan a would you rather. So on the fly, this is perfect. Right. So we'll just use that um, around Dion. We've got. I think this is a great name, Addison Russell. Uh, I'm not quitting Addison. I, I I can't. I know that it has not panned out to the level that that you and I have both uh, expected, and. I do worry that name value. Well, actually, no. I'm looking at the mocks right now, 257. So the market is not putting a, a name value uh, right, cost on Addison Russell. Let's throw uh, some other numbers here. If we got some, if we can throw the market value, so we're we're we know we're 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 guessing right. How about Marcus Simeon? 
let's see where Simeon is. He's two twenty three. You're 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 right in the range right now. This is perfect. Uh, and Zach Cozart. And Zach Cozart. Now Cozart's really interesting. Don't know where he's gonna be, right? Don't know where he's gonna go. And the market is split. Uh, on MLB now, they did the thing where they they used Carson's uh, crowdsource numbers. And then compared it like with what the panel thought. And a lot of times they were kind of saying, oh, you know, the crowdsource had it. Uh, this, it was, and then they would say like what Dave Cameron had because they were going over his piece for that. And, you know, they always had a, a lot of agreement for the most part on, on the big names. Then came Cozart and it was completely split. First off, it was split between Dave and the crowdsource. And then the panel uh, was on, on that same sort of split. A couple were closer to Dave. Others were closer to the crowdsource. I, I don't. I don't know where, where Zach Kozart's going to go. I don't think he's a total bust, though. Um, I look at what he's done. You know, he's going to be 32, right? He's had injury issues even this year. He only played 122 games. That's the one part that I'm most cautious about is that you can really only plan for about 500 plate appearances. But he really started to show some pop last year, too. And even the year before, when he only played 53 games, he had nine homers. And I remember it was like, what the hell's gotten into Zach Kozart? This is crazy. But then he only played 53 games, so everyone was like, well... You know, th- th- there goes that. So I think the power has some legitimacy to it. I think I would take Cozart. Well, Cozart, then you, let's throw cost in there because Justin Mason is peppering us with cost. He's got uh, about 170. So 170 Cozart versus the two. most out of the whole group. Um, I don't know. I think, um, you know, given their projections coming so close together, I might take Marcus Simeon out of the group. I like uh, Simeon. I know he's been a guy you've been on for a while, too. The, the, the power, power seems similar, and then he's he's probably going to steal you 10 bags, where I don't think De Jong is going to steal you 10 bags. I don't think Russell's going to steal you 10 bags. I don't think Cozart's going to steal you 10 bags. So, and With his uh, efficiency, with, with Simeon's efficiency, I don't rule out like a, a 15 surge, a 15-20 yeah. surge. Like He's super, super efficient, 38 for 48 in his career. That's really sharp. Now, Oakland doesn't run a lot usually, but he had 12 and 85 games this year. I'm not saying you just completely extrapolate that, but right. I wouldn't be surprised to see that at 1820, even if you just kind of, uh, you know, you, you keep that pace minus some regression and you get to 18. If you're going to give me 18 and 18 out of shortstop, I'll take the 250 average. Cause that's what I think the young's going to do anyway. So I'm with you on Simeon. Also Simeon, Russell and Cozart. I'd take all three of them ahead of de young personally. Yeah. Yeah. I think so. And uh, just a note about Simeon, um, he, uh, he, his power projections are going to be, uh, de- depressed by his injury. Uh, he had an injury to his wrist that did suppress his power this past year, and that's going to suppress his power projections. However, his exit velocity recovered at the end of the season, uh, which lined up with him telling me that he was feeling better and that he was able to wrap his bat more, um, and, and hit for more power near the end of the season. So, uh, you know, I, I, I see Simeon as being uh, almost a clear uh, riser uh, out of all of these. And I'm, I'm interested that his ADP is lower than a lot of them. So he's forgotten uh, in Oakland. He's a, he yeah, really he's a, is. He's a good value pick, I think, among these guys. Um, Russell, I think Russell against the Young is interesting because it's not like you project either of them into a great batting average. Um, you don't project, you know, like you, you project De Young to hit more homers. Um, however, I'd like um, Russell's uh, age and sort of uh, you know, slight pr- like improvements before last year. He'd been doing a really good job of improving everywhere, um, you know, with every chance at every at every year. And I'm willing to give him a little bit of a pass on last year. 
Um, he made some bad mistakes in his personal life, and he made some bad mistakes on the field, um, and he was hurt. So, you know, I think uh, I'm willing to say that he could he could sort of recover some of that progression that he was making in the past. And that's and, you know, given that he's 23, turning 24, his projections say, you know, he's going to have one of his better walk rates of his career, his best strikeout rate of his career. Um, and if he pairs that with the best power of his career, the projections say he will. Um, then we've got a guy who might go, you know, 22 homers, especially if, you know, the projections right now have him at 525 PA, not if he's the starting shortstop and he's healthy all year. So exactly. give him 600 plate appearances. Now you've got 24, you know, 23, 24 homers, six, seven stolen bases and <clears throat> a chance for, you know, like a 270 batting average because he's not going to have that plate discipline problem that DeYoung has. So that's what I keep holding out for is the yeah, batting average. Improvement. Better batting I still average, see yeah. a better hitter when I watch Addison Russell you know, and and you know, I don't watch every Cubs game. Not going to pretend that, but I watch him enough, and I'm like, that guy's not a 240 hitter. But of course, he's got 1500 plate appearances, so the yeah. numbers absolutely say he is. I just feel like he can still evolve, even at age, uh, you know, with three years under his belt, he's only going to be age 24, like you said. So I, I'm still going to go with Russell there. Um, a couple other names actually that 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 Justin put that I'm kind of interested in your thoughts on in comparison to DeYoung, Jose Peraza. And Chris Owings. I actually wrote up a little bit about Chris Owings. That's kind of a, a, a post-hype guy that I'm keeping an eye on for some of the stuff that he's been able to do. Health has con- constantly eluded him as well. And I think that's the major issue with, with Owings. Peraz is a guy that I'd kind of have to be sold on. I don't know, man. I, I've just never really seen it. Peraz going 212, Owings 217, and again, DeYoung 200. How do you feel about that trio there? Owings, Peraza, DeYoung. How would you rank them, you know? Yeah, I don't. It is weird because, you know, 2016 for Owings was a bit of a lost year, or 2015 was because of a shoulder problem mm-hmm. that really sapped his power. The power started coming back late 2016 and, and came back in full force in 2017. And yet, yet, if you look at his career, he's now played in, you know, sort of three and a half seasons altogether and has like 1.6 wins above replacement. And that's not a fantasy number. But it does make me worry that this is a guy without a position. Well, and he's never and had he's, even a uh, um, 95 WRC plus. Yeah, let he's alone not even been a league average. Digit. Yeah, so so as much as I like him, I'm, I'm like, wow, in today's power environment, he's basically a one-trick pony, and his trick is power, and it's league average. Well, I'll tell you what, the speed was actually the main reason that I had him on the list. Yeah. And I gave him a little bit of uh, a Gene Segura vibe. Now, they're not perfect links. First off, the contact majorly favors Segura, but the speed is what I was honed in on. And if he could stay healthy, that's the big key here with Owings. But I, I, you look at his stat cast sprint speed stuff, you look at his speed scores, there is the speed in there for a 30 plus stolen base season. And again, efficiency, you talk about 59 for 68, man, if he had one more caught, I wish he had 69 attempts that would, or, or or at least one more steal. If he was 60 for 69, that'd be amazing. (laughs) But uh, I think there's, I I think there's the potential to be a 30 something plus base stealer. I I understand your points about playing time, but I remain completely unfazed by Yasmati Tomas. I just, I don't, I don't like that guy. Right. Oh, so you think there's an opportunity in the outfield for Owings I, I, to play I every think, day? Yeah, I think. Uh, infield but but and if you're going to pick somebody based on speed, you have to pick Jose Peraza. 
I don't like Jose Peraza, though. Okay? <laughs> that's, that's absolutely fair. You're right. I'm, I'm rushing on that. Because that dude has actually shown, you know, he's got two 20-something stolen base seasons. One was in 72 games, for crying out loud. And he, he actually probably has the better Segura vibes because he has that same sort of contact. He would be Segura without the power, whereas Owings would be maybe Segura without the the, the, the contact. So uh, I, I think that's fair, and he's only going to be 24 I, maybe you know, I'm on Peraza a little bit. There's a chance that what was Peraza's cost versus uh, De Jong and so about about a round later or two twelve so uh, two hundred for De Jong two twelve Peraza two seventeen Owings all very similar. Yeah, well, you know, I think an interesting, um, really cheap fifteen team middle infield situation would be Semyon and Peraza. I mean. Uh, uh, that you Especially might come out of there with uh, 30 home runs and 30 stolen bases and, you know, like a 260 average, um, you know, that wouldn't be, that wouldn't be a terrible thing to to have out of your, you know, what 10th round picks, like 10th and 11th and yeah, 12th. And, round and picks. You're not getting the Correa's and, and the Jose Ramirez's or, or whatever, but your outfield pitching and first base should, should be loaded at that point. Right. If you're going to kind of skimp, in the middle infield, but I do think I did a 12 team draft the other day and my major takeaway was how deep corner and middle are. If you're in a 12, 10 or 12 teamer, you're going to be tempted by a lot of names in those, in those early double digit rounds. Like I took Kyle Seeger in like the 12th and I felt pretty good about that. Kyle Seeger, you know, kind of boring or whatever, but just, you can, you can ink in the numbers. Uh, and then six rounds later, Carlos Santana went and I would rather have that, by leaps and bounds. And the same thing was happening at middle. I think there was a situation. I can't remember who I have in middle in that, in that particular mock, but then Angelton Simmons went eight rounds after I took a middle. And again, not blowing the doors off on, on Angelton Simmons, but you can get quality skills. So obviously we're talking more 15 teamer when we're, Oh, Justin, you were the one who got Simmons. Uh, he just sat out there forever in that draft. Um, but you're, we're obviously talking deeper when we're talking Peraza, Owings, those, and Simeon, those types of guys. Do Although, you know, them. yeah, in a 12-team, you know, you might pair them as your middle infield as some of your final picks. You know well, what yeah, I mean? Yeah, one as a bench and one as the starting middle yeah. infield. You know, so that I, I way you can kind of do like a little, you know, play Simeon when he's away from home for power and uh, play Peraza when you need stone base, especially head-to-head. That'd be a kind of a fun That's what I was going to say that, too. When you need to turn up the speed, you put Peraza in for a couple weeks. Yeah. Then maybe if you need a little bit more of the power production, you go Sammy. Peraza's, All right. Peraza's a good utility player in, in shorter leagues because he'll probably have second base shortstop and outfield eligibility. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I know that he's not a good hitter, and uh, there are reasons not to like him. But this is also a team that has played Billy Hamilton in, short, in, in center field. Um, at the top you know, of the lineup. At the top of the lineup for a long time. So I think that they'll play Peraza um and he looks like their option at shortstop right now so maybe you know down the line somebody else plays shortstop for them but right now in the next couple of years i think peraz is their guy agreed uh what we learned from that is that uh, we're not taking paul de young anywhere i don't think we said once we started the would you rather we did not say paul de young's name again yeah well no i mean i think he's right there with russell 
that, that that that's completely fair. And he's not he's not old. He's 24 himself. So they're both the same age. Both I'd like to take him over Cozart myself until I know exactly where Cozart's going. Definitely want to see where Cozart's going to go. That that that'll be an interesting uh, uh, secondary piece in the market as well. Uh, Corey Kluber, Max Scherzer, both win Cy Youngs, multiple ones for them now. Two for Kluber. That was Scherzer's third. They're obviously superstars. All I'm really looking for here is. Do you think both are lock first rounders? Yeah, I said, you know, Mike Max Scherzer is turning thirty-four, um, and uh, Corey Kluber is turning 32, 31. Not Koski. You love Corey Koski. You're always <laughs> googling Corey Koski. Thirty-two. He'll be turning thirty-two. So, um, you know. They're not spring chickens, and we've seen some uh, velocity drop off for uh, Kluber, um, although it's not really showing right now. Well, you've been on the sinker. His sinker was at its lowest velocity last year by pitch info. So, and whenever he has trouble, it's the fastball getting hit out of the park. And you've been on the Kluber is a bad fastball guy. Uh, It's really difficult to say I have concerns about a guy like this who continues to absolutely decimate fools had his best uh strikeout and walk rates this year both were career bests he's an absolute stud um but he's pulling some he is pulling some old people tricks some old pitcher tricks i mean uh he just went to his breaking ball uh over 50 percent of the time for the first time this year bingo 43 percent usage on his on his heater down from 52 percent so he knows that his fastball sucks and by pitch value kluber got a minus 2.2 which was actually a career best uh because he didn't use it and that's a cumulative stat and so all the other stuff the cutter uh curve slider you call it you call it the breaking ball because the way he manipulates it it's it's yeah. two different pitches as far as i'm concerned and then his changeup were all super plus value um that is something to be concerned with but we're just talking short term one year 2018 you take these guys in the uh, in the last, you know, the ten to fifteen range of a first round, or do you go with the offense and, and wait? I I'd hate to be a dinosaur, but I'm gonna wait till the second round. I feel Why, like they didn't get enough pitcher wins because you love pitcher wins. Actually, I'm that, I, I'm just trying to make a joke about pitcher wins, but it, it doesn't even work in this context because pitcher wins actually matter a lot in fantasy. So yeah, right. it, it, it's a stupid attempt at a joke there. Um, I don't know. I, I, I mean, I think I think that actually, no, there is an interesting thing going on with pitcher wins because Max Scherzer just won the Cy Young with 16 wins. Mm-hmm. So I think like I think wins are going to be very hard to come by next year. All That's, of the third, fourth and fifth starters are going to be pulled, you know, earlier than you think. And there's going to be more Chad Green types. Every team's going to have a Chad Green, uh, uh, Lugo, Seth Lugo. Chad Green's likely to start. We're going to talk about that in a second, but I get your point. The guys, the 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 middle, the middle vulture there. The guy. Well, they may go, say he's going to start, but then they're going to pull him in the fourth inning. Yeah. You know? Oh, I, okay. I see what you're saying. My bad. My bad. You're saying the two. I times mean, either way, there's going to be there's there's going to be more relievers that have 100 innings. There's going to be more up and down uh, Joe Musgrove types. There's going to be sure. more uh, Seth Lugos and what Chad Green was last year uh, paired with what Chad Green may be next year. So there's going to be a lot more sort of coming together instead of like, this is a starting pitcher and this is a reliever and this guy gets 200 innings and this guy gets 70. There's going to be more like, well, some of these guys are going to get 100 and 110 and some of these starters are going to get like 150, 140. And that means that uh, official scorers are going to have a real hard time 
uh, meeting out wins next year because you're going to have a guy, a starting pitcher goes three, and then a, and a guy of the bullpen that goes two, and then another guy who goes two, and you have no idea who should get the win. So, you know, I think all of our win totals are going to go down, and you've seen it already. Uh, Felix Hernandez won the Cy Young one year with a losing record. Granky and, had and, a low win. Uh, so, wait, here's what you're saying. The new market inefficiency is to find out which fantasy pitchers league scorers have? <laughs> Lar Michaels, I believe, scores games out in the Bay Area. So I'm just going to take a look at all of his Giants and, and A's that he has and figure, hey, he's going to lean toward giving Kendall Graveman that extra W, and that's how I'm going to win my leagues. I'm just going to be well, drafting his guys. I'll give, I'll give some love back to Zach Sanders, uh, who always got a lot of crap when we did our rankings for putting non-closers um, high in his closer in his reliever rankings. Mm-hmm. And every year people said that's that's doesn't make any sense. And I think this is going to be the year where it makes a lot of sense and people are going to start doing picking well, more. Like if you like, let's say Chad Green doesn't start or um, I, I, we need to well, like we need to really let's nail this down for another piece for another uh, another uh, uh, show talk about all let's, the Andrew Millers. The, yes, the, the, let's let's try to find next year's Andrew Millers. Let's try to find guys, you know, Joe, even Joe Musgrove. Let's try to find yep. the guys who are going to get stuck on the outside of a rotation and aren't closers but are good pitchers. Let's try to find guys who are going to be 80 to 100 inning uh, um, relievers that we can all go and try to put as the last pitcher on our staff. Isn't that guy going to be better than going to the well for Fernando Rodney for the like millionth time? Or, or some fifth starter clown, too. It, 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 it's both of those. It's the super crappy closer or just taking a shot on some fifth starter that you know, thinking that he's going to get some innings, but they're not going to be good. And I, I agree with you, and I, I think Zach's been uh, ahead of the curve on that because we've seen it. It's not just been Betances and Miller. They're obviously the name guys there. But for the last three, four years, we've seen these guys. Davinsky was a big one this year. You've already mentioned Chad Green. These guys that are in that middle will definitely do – uh, a topic on that. Maybe we'll do it as early as next week and find a bunch of those guys and assess the best ones uh, mm-hmm. to be targeting. Better that guy than Juan, Juan Manaya, you know, like exactly. Who is who is Juan Manaya? Who is Juan Manaya? Well, he's a cl- maybe the, the quote unquote closer. The closer. Actually, no, they, Alex they, Claudio, they, by my closer metrics, the things that we look at, Alex Claudio would be the first uh, reliever to lose his his uh, his well, he throws role. nine miles an hour. Nine <laughs> miles an hour. That's, that's his fastball. Uh, like I said, Chad Green likely to start. That's the, how he's going to come into the season. I agree with you that it could definitely morph to where it's like, okay, you're a three to four inning guy, uh, and then there's going to be sometimes that they're going to swing man him back into the bullpen where he's going to get a couple innings there. Is he somebody that you're targeting in even So 12? maybe next year it's Brian Mitchell. If Brian Mitchell loses that role, yeah. then he's going to go right into that's... Chad Chad Green's role next year. Or, so. could, or could it be our boy, Jordan Montgomery? Well, I think he's he's got a starter's arsenal. and I, I agree. I don't want it right. to be him. I'm just saying. Severino, Tanaka, Giselman could be really good out of the pen. Definitely agree. Especially as a two-inning guy. I, I, yeah. I really like Giselman on, on the other New York You have to remember, like, you look at Giselman's stats and you go, that guy sucks. And then you realize... That the worst the worst starting pitcher, if you made him a reliever, would be near closer worthy. Exactly, exactly. On just and on average, I mean, it doesn't work with everyone, but 
on average. But he's got the stuff, too, and he's only going to be 24. And we saw what he could do in a little 44-inning sample the year before. People got really geeked on him. It was too small of a sample. And everything went wrong for Gazelman in 120 innings this past year. I mean, even looking at his uh, ERA versus FIP, it should have been half run lower. And And he wasn't used as what we're talking about. Exactly. You know, it's not 120 innings of coming in in the sixth inning and, and blowing for two innings. It was, you know, trying to start and being taken out of starts and stuff like that. I mean, I think look at Archie Bradley, dude. I mean, that guy uh, couldn't, you know, couldn't start at all. So know? there was chatter that he wanted to get back into the rotation. I get it. That's that's obviously the glamour spot. But Mike Hazen's come out and said he's likely to relieve, the which closer. is good news for me because I took him as a closer. And I yeah. I. I guaranteed at the draft that he would go. I just didn't see any path <laughs> why they would put him back to starting. Um, if they thought, exactly. If they thought he could do it and had a third pitch ready to go, they would move him. Because, of course, 150 innings of even like a 470 ERA would be better and more valuable than 70 innings of a 250. But he doesn't have that. Uh, he was 140 innings of a five ERA with a yeah. lot of struggles behind it. So I think he's a closer, and I think he's actually a, a potential superstar closer. So I'm pretty excited by that news with Bradley going into the bullpen. Um, do you see him as a potential premier closer in Arizona? Yeah, I do. I do. I think he's. I think he's a great pick. He's. I think one of those uh, back end uh, guys that back end sort of first tier guys even like that. We'll, that. we'll also talk. Uh, we're going to start doing some like positional review preview sort of deal. Is and, Rodney uh, still on that team? What? Is Rodney no, still no, signed? No, free agent. Free agent. Okay, good. Free agent for, I think, like the 74th year in a row. I think he only gets – in fact, I think he, MLB – the teams have been trying to lobby MLB to sign him to a half-year deal. Uh, <laughs> they won't currently allow it, uh, but they are trying to get monthly contracts. That You know, the 10-day in the NBA, that's what teams are trying to do with Rodney. We'll give you – 30 days and then we'll assess you after every 30 no but i mean he's like what 42 he's a free agent you know some team's gonna 41 you know some team's gonna sign him you 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 know that's gonna happen he's still through hard talking about uh his velocity I, i think this really fits interestingly with what we're talking about here with the guys who could be uh three to five inning guys alex reyes coming back from tommy john people getting really excited about him um he's targeting a may 1st return and they've said that he's likely to start as a, as a bullpen piece, which, of course, makes sense. Ease in, get a multi-inning stint, I would think, for sure, and then hopefully ramp him up second half. He could be uh, starting for them. It kind of reminds me of that that big 2012 season that Chris Medlin had. Now, I'm not saying that Alex Reyes is Chris Medlin. They're a lot different, and Alex Reyes' ceiling is uh, light years higher. But when I think about how well – that method could work. Medlin was obviously the, the the peak of that, where he relieved for a handful of innings, then transitioned for 12, 15 starts. I can't remember exactly the number. It was 12 starts uh, and ended up having a beastly 138-inning season. What do you see out of Alex Reyes in 2018? No, I, that just made, that gives me an epiphany. I, I think it, it's not impossible to think that the Cardinals, especially if Flaherty, uh, Jack Flaherty goes in a deal to Miami for Stanton, uh, the Cardinals go and sign one of the back end pitchers that are out there because there's a there's a decent glut of sort of four or five pitchers out that are out there right now. And uh, it's funny that they traded away Mike Leake and may want to find a guy like that. <laughs> However, Mike Leake was, I think, signed for a long term deal where they'd rather Correct. sign sign, you know, a Mike Leake esque type player for two to two and 20 or something. So, yeah. 
Um, <clears throat> yeah, I think they. Uh, I think that's a fine uh, deal as long as it doesn't turn into oh he's been so great in the bullpen, uh, never mind starting. You know. And I don't think it will. And I know that their back end of their bullpen's a little bit up in the air right now. We saw Rosenthal uh, go up and down, then get hurt, and now he's actually been cut uh, because why would they? keep him for a year when he's obviously not going to do it like that makes sense obviously when he gets healthy again he'll get signed somewhere but then Sengwon oh obviously had his issues now he's going to be he's still with them right he had a multi-year deal or is he a free agent I'm, I'm, let me look that up I, I, don't see, agent, I don't see him on roster resource here so yeah he's a free agent and they let uh, they let um, the former closer go Rosenthal because he has to have surgery. I think. Yeah, he's to- he's missing all of the year with Tommy John, so it didn't make sense to literally pay him to chill. He's a reliever who's going to be twenty eight. They're well, in the reliever market for sure. You yeah, know, they may they may sign Davis or Holland. I mean, right now their closer is probably Tyler Lyons. Uh, Rise the resource has Tyler Lyons right now, and I, I they they can't go into a season with that. Uh, with him, Sandy, Sandy Alcantara from the AFL may actually make it. He could be interesting. Now, I will say, maybe he'd be better served throwing 95 96 because when he throws 100, it is straight as an arrow. Mm. It, it's awesome, it, it's great to hear the glove pop, but when he's up at 99 100, it, it, it's, it does get hit. But he definitely does have the stuff. But would they bring a rookie in? I know he pitched a little bit in the majors, you know, so he does have some. He's been in the big leagues. He's seen the triple, the the, the triple decker stadiums. Ooh, you know what? He might be a candidate for our sort of hundred inning reliever because he was in the in the AFL uh, All Star game. He was in the AFL, so he has like 150 innings under his belt, and yet most people watching him think that he's going to be a reliever. I would like that as a tw- so, maybe 22 year old next year. Couple yeah, innings come in for a couple innings, you know, especially if Jack Flaherty, Jack Flaherty, uh, who really relied on his slider um, and uh, and sometimes got hit. He was kind of straight with his with his fastball. Well, here's uh, the thing, too, you know, just because you put this guy in the in this sort of role doesn't mean he's locked in there forever. We're talking about Sandy Alcon- Al- Alcantara. He's 22 and, years old. You could and, put him in this role. And yeah. it's actually easier to transition him back to starting than if because you were he to still has some innings. Yeah, because yeah. he still has some innings. He still has maybe 100 innings. Maybe you can get 120 out of him as a start in the next it's, year. Or so it's the Johan Santana method. They the yeah. the um, Twins brought him up like this. This used to be popular. I think uh, was it Earl Weaver who did it back in the day, where they bring him up as the reliever and then transition them. I, I think we got to get back to it because having just a 65 inning or 180 inning. Those are the only two roles. It's very yeah. stupid, I think. There, there's definitely a 90 to 110 uh, inning role out there that 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 can be done properly. And I don't think it's more stints. I think it's longer stints. I, th- I think it's uh, two two plus inning stints as opposed to the guy pitching four or five times a week because that's how you wear him down. And that's what happened to Chris Davinsky. They wanted to do the the 110 innings with him, it seemed, but they wanted to do it by pitching him every other day. Yeah, no one yeah, can hold up like that. Much, yeah. You just, you just can't. You can't hold up. I think up. their actual the use of Musgrove was better. You know, I, I totally agree. And I, I, you keep bringing him up, and I really do like him for this role. We've talked about him positively in the past. He might not be ready for starting yet, but if he goes a buck ten and and shows what he's got, that's going to give him a lot of training to kind of figure out those pitches and say, hey, 
maybe you can get into the uh, into the 150 plus role, but maybe work their way up to it. So that's going to be interesting. We're definitely going to do a, a whole pot on that sort of stuff. I want to move on to this uh, last deal here and then get into some AFL final thoughts. Thiago Vieira is not a guy that most people know. He was on Seattle, though. He's an 80-grade fastball. Can pop 100 seemingly with ease. He was traded to the White Sox from Seattle for international money. Now, this has implications on both sides, I think, even though it is a, such a small deal, because you talked about Juan Manaya. The, the White Sox are obviously still in, in the middle of their rebuild. I don't think that this is their sneak up year yet either. I think maybe next year could be that where they're almost like the Brewers, where it's like, hey, we're a little bit ahead of schedule. We're contending all year, and, and then they fall short, and then the, 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 the push through comes after that. So they think they're bullpen's still wide open. I don't think Manaya did anything to say, hey, I'm the guy here. I could see maybe Vieira being the guy who gets that with his nasty stuff. Meanwhile, on the other end, uh, the international money going from White Sox to Seattle has people thinking, hey, are they gearing up for, for an Otani play? So let's start there with Seattle. Do you see this as collecting international money to try to do everything they can for Otani, or are we reading too deeply into it? Uh, you know, I think it's uh, also interesting to consider. I'm not sure what exactly will happen to the Braves prospects that might get uh, jettisoned from the Atlanta That's organization. Right. Uh, maybe they just become free agents. I don't think so, because I don't think that the baseball wants to create a precedent where they've got major league teams able to spend whatever they want on Especially a guy like Kevin Maiton. Oh my Can you god! Imagine if they made him a regular free agent. No, that that's been their whole for like goal. forty million dollars to you know whoever. Every move they've made lately has been to curb that what number. these young guys can open and how uh, earn and how freely teams can spend their money on uh, on young talent like this. So I can't imagine any way that they would put him into just an open pool. Wouldn't he just go back into the next J two signing period? Yeah, so if that's the case, maybe Seattle saw, well, there might be some new free agents we want, okay. uh, you know, other than Otani. Because Otani's is kind of a zero-sum game. You get them or you don't. Yep. Um, but, yeah, they could be. There's a good link for them there because it's a good uh, it's a good place in the past. They've had a lot of Japanese players from— um, they Who was that outfielder have, they had? Yeah, they had some guy. No, but— <sighs> I was the one I couldn't remember was the reliever. Did they, they had Kaz Suzaki? Kaz Suzaki was a really yeah. good one for them. It was Ichiro Suzaki, and then of course Iwakuma recently. Yeah. Um, they I, didn't they bring Chu over? He never really did anything for them, but didn't, oh, yeah, that's didn't right. he and they come? Traded, they traded him to to Cleveland. Yeah, he I came via right. South Korea. So the, they've been very uh, f uh, a friendly landing spot for Asian players, uh, whether it's from Korea or Japan. So I, I think that this could this could be setting up for that. But I agree with what you said. There is a fallback. Like if they don't get him, it's not like, hey, we wasted that money. They didn't spend it. And now they could spend it on maybe, like you said, uh, either the normal J2 prospects or if the Braves end up losing Maiton or anybody else that's super appealing, then they could go after that. So I like the move there. Uh, let's talk about Vieira. Do you, do you think he is somebody that could could get a look at, at closing in Chicago since it's so open? Uh, Chicago? I thought he went to Boston. Where did he go? He went to Chicago. The White Sox. Oh, I see. The White Sox. Okay. Wrong Sox there. Uh, yeah. I, I just did a quick search, and it's very interesting because his, his movement on his fastball and his spin rate are almost dead average. Okay. And so we were talking about Alcantara and like whether, you know, it's straight as an arrow and Jack Flaherty is straight as an arrow. But if you look at their movement numbers, those guys are straight but deviate from average, right? 
Mm-hmm. So um, it looks straight, but however, it like Clayton Kershaw's fastball looks straight uh, and deviates from average, but is not straight as in average. You know what I mean? Absolutely. There's, there's like kind of two ways to define it. Do you find straight as in just total average looking pitch or straight as in sort of ge- geometrically straight? So Vieira's pitch is not geometrically straight, but it is almost exactly average when it comes to movement and spin. Um, and I think that has to matter because if you just look, he has a hundred mile an hour fastball and he has a minor league strikeout rate. Uh, I don't have a 7.4. Yes. There you go. That's, that's not and, and, impressive for a hundred 291 innings too. So and it's most not of them he was relieving. Scene. It's not even like, Oh, well maybe he was starting and he couldn't strike guys out. No, I mean, he's been relieving since 2014. So, Bingo. uh, I, don't know. I think this okay. is, um, you know, it could also be kind of a Henry Rodriguez situation. I, I'm, I'm guessing this a little bit. I know his command isn't great, um, but nice you know, name Rod- by the way. I Henry remember Rodriguez threw the heck out of the ball, but he, you know, he didn't get good results for it. Yeah, he. Everyone thought wasn't he with the uh, Nationals? The uh, by the way, we're not talking about the hitter who was also with the Expos Nationals. Oh, Henry, that that guy was a monster. A, a more recent Henry, Henry Rodriguez who could throw the ball like 100, again, easily, but had no idea where it was going and and never really came came to fruition there. So you're, you're, you're concerned another, that maybe this is another guy like that. Another guy like that is J.C. Ramirez um, on the Angels. Dude throws really hard, never gets strikeouts, and has actually started to get strikeouts recently by throwing his slider 50% of the time. Uh, and this is a guy with like a 96, 97 mile hour fastballs. So it's... It's great um, to see the the mid nineties fastball. I'm Pineda a little bit. Uh, I'm sorry, I forgot the wrong Yankee. Who's the guy who just hurt himself? Uh, came up uh, from Florida. I forget him so soon. We've written like a million times about Nathan him. Nathan Ivaldi. Great. Yeah, Ivaldi. There you go. Yep. There's a guy who threw really hard. It was super straight, and people liked it. So, um, yeah, I, I, yes, he because the White Sox otherwise have Juan Manaya. He's definitely in the mix, and he does tick that velocity box, but he does not tick that strikeout rate box. But don't and, so don't go drafting him. The, the only scenario I could really see is like an AL only, where you have a pretty deep reserve, and your Mister or Mrs. Saves speculator, you might like in 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 like that NFBC style where you were drafting in the draft and, and hold in the AFL, yep. yeah, where you draft and hold, and you have to pick all of your sleeper slave sleeper guys. Yeah, then he can be one of your final picks. Okay, uh, let's finish up talking some AFL. Again, we got to go to the All-Star game the day after we did our podcast there, which was a lot of fun, by the way. If you haven't listened to that episode, you really got to get I'm proud of that episode. We did we we did a really good one there. That was a lot of fun. Um, you were really hard on yourself saying that you talked too much. <laughs> it was great. People absolutely loved it. And you dropped an mf which was just <laughs> brilliant. What was it about again? Oh, man. I, I think you were calling a pitch an MF or two. I can't oh, remember. <laughs> I remember listening to it in editing, and I was like, I could take it out, but it's too funny. I'm leaving it in. <laughs> uh, but anyway, so then we got to go to the All-Star game. That's where you really see, you know, they're not necessarily picked for the, the game based on how well they're doing at the Arizona Fall, at least not all the picks. A lot of them are the top prospects. So we got to see all the guys. You got you always go early. I didn't go early this year with you to, to see the interviews, but uh, you got to talk to a handful of guys. 
One I really want to talk about, and then I'll kind of let you free form on the rest, is Michael Chavis, because that's a guy that jumped out to Jason right away. He's been talking about him. The name's been in the uh, in the air for a little while. Boston prospect, obviously, they get a little bit more hype than normal, but a former first-round pick back in 2014 has uh, been up and down with his hitting in the minors, but did just come off a really big year at high A and double A. Uh, hitting a 9-10 OPS with 31 yaks. So really big season there, 21-year-old who went to the Arizona Fall League. I'm not saying he's going to skip AAA because he hasn't been AAA yet, but but the Arizona Fall League is like a finishing school. So he can go to AAA for a month or two and then be up. What do you see out of Michael Chavis and what were you able to talk to him about? You know, Chavis walked away from his session in the bullpen, his session in the in the uh, in BP, and I couldn't help laugh. You know, I was there with. Uh, <laughs> uh, no, I mean, it, it's just uh, the sound of the ball off his bat was just hilarious, really. I mean, it was it was amazing uh, and just so loud that uh, we that that just like every behind everybody behind the cage was laughing. Um, were you with the Welsh from In This League? Yes, I was with I was with Welsh from In This League, and we were laughing. There was another writer there. I think uh, Callis was there, and we were just all laughing because it was so loud. And he comes he comes out, and you're not really supposed to talk to them when they're at the cage because they're doing something athletic, and um, and, and you're not really supposed to interrupt them when they're when they're practicing that sort of deal. Um, that rule gets broken a fair amount of time. So I've just thought, you know, whatever. This is AFL. I was like, dude, sweet sounds i think it's basically what i said and he laughed he just laughed and said thank you man and like, yeah, uh, awesome. and went, went back to his business but uh i did talk to him afterwards and he he kind of reminded me about it like bellinger where he said i have natural loft to my swing and i actually have to think about um i have to think about putting backspin on the ball not necessarily swinging down on the ball but i have to think, think about um you know being short to the ball because i have natural loft and i don't want to get too loopy um, so Bellinger's, you know, said I have, you know, great lift on the, on the ball and, uh, and I actually have to practice chopping down the ball just to, to kind of mitigate that. So, no, you uh, don't Cody, yeah. You're amazing. <laughs> but, um, you know, I thought, uh, I thought, uh, it was interesting to, uh, talk to him from that perspective. He just thought he needed to get more, um, consistent, and uh, I could see how that's the case. The, the kind of comp I walked away with was maybe like a Mike Moustakis uh, comp. It's not uh, perfect in terms of, uh, you know, their different handedness. But, uh, you know, Mike Moustakis hits the ball really hard, doesn't have a great walk rate, but makes good contact. I could see Chavis, even though he's had worse strikeout rates in the minors, I could see him coming to the big leagues and striking out like 21% of the time. And having like a 270 average and hitting 30 bombs. I mean, and that's that's what it's happening. Like. The wall too, right? Yeah, peppering the, yeah. the green monster there. Yeah. Um, is there a role for him this year in, in in Boston? And obviously, we know injuries happen. So we're talking all things kind of holding course here. We're not necessarily putting in. Well, if Hanley Ramirez gets hurt on uh, April 28th, obviously that would change everything. But right now they got Sam Travis penciled in at first. I know Chavis has been like a third base DH type. Could he jump over to first and maybe, and maybe challenge somebody like Travis for a role deep, uh, you know, early into the season or maybe even break camp. But again, I don't think he's going to skip triple a. What do you think about Chavis's 2018 outlook? 
Um, I think he's going to be playing in the big leagues this year, and that's why he's, he's relevant to bring up here. I think it'll either be as the first baseman in Boston if they don't uh, improve that through free agency or trade. I or think he's going to start in, in Miami. Miami? Yeah. Ooh. Yeah, I mean, it's not a great place for him uh, power-wise. Uh, you know, not a great park for him power-wise. And maybe it'll lead to some, a few struggles right off the bat. But, I mean, I see a major league regular here for sure. And I think it could be more exciting than that. So He certainly looked the part. I, I, I agree with that, just watching him. And, and sound off the bat was, again, what caught Jason's ear when we were watching him in-game. And then to hear you and Welsh rave about him in batting practice, like, he's got it. He's got the hitting piece. I think that's going to definitely be be there in his game. Doesn't necessarily have a, a locked-in position. But, again, has played third. A little bit of short, but that was a couple of years ago. So uh, really looking at third first. Uh, and then and then DH, but I, I doubt he would come up as a DH. He's not so bad with the glove that he would have to be a, a DH off the bat. So Michael Chavis, put a little star next to him. Those of you obviously with prospect leagues uh, can take a look, but even deep leagues like we're talking uh, the 50-round draft and hold where you got to get everybody right away, this could be a guy who comes up, might not start, might not break camp, but I think sometimes we'll get focused on, well, he's not breaking camp, so I don't care. And I know if you don't have a lot of reserve spots, you can't hold a bunch of guys like this who are just chilling in Pawtucket. Uh, doing nothing for you, but you can have like one. And so if if you have like a six man reserve and he's he's one of them, and you have five others that that are uh, getting things done for you, you can kind of sit on like uh, Michael Chavis. So I like him as well. Good name. Who else were you able to talk to? I think Austin Riley is interesting because he's knocking on the door too, and he's a, a third baseman that can I think stick at the position in Atlanta where they have an opening at third base. Um, so you have two guys here, third base eligibility with pop, really loud sounding bats. We saw Austin Riley uh, beat the ball um, to the left, right and center. Just crush Crushed. it, right? Yeah, he, uh, he was. So I actually saw th- um, the games I saw. He was in three of them. So I saw a lot of Austin Riley absolutely smacks the ball. And again, if you're not paying, you know, if you're talking and, and he's up and you hear the hit, whoa, he's like one of those that jars you with the sound off of his bat as well. Not an elite third baseman, but too good and too good of an arm to really throw it first. So I think even if it wasn't third, maybe left would be something that they could transition him to. But I think he gets a real look at maybe being the third baseman as early as this year. Yeah, yeah. And uh, it, it's funny because I, I talked to those guys to get in front of them before their major leaguers. Um, and sometimes you get, uh, you get funny little kind of, you shouldn't have told me that moments. Uh, and I was just listening back to my Austin Riley piece and I'm, I'm not going to blow him up for it. Um, maybe there's a, a, a nice way I can do it. I'll try to do it here because I, I, I am friendly to him as it, like, I think he's going to be a good player. And I, I don't think that this is necessarily, uh, damning of him, but I was asking about a change in approach. And he said, basically, people say I can't catch up to the fastball. <laughs> Austin, no. Don't say like, that. Don't, just don't put it that way. Uh, but I guess what he was saying was that he get he gets stuck in between. Um, uh, he would sometimes get stuck thinking breaking ball and fastball and then he, not be able to catch up and not be able to catch. do that. Yeah, and I think and I think actually this fits in with the sort of philosophy I've talked about about going and getting the ball. Um, and being more aggressive on fastballs. And I think that's been a big portion of why he got better. His pull rate went up and his fly ball rate went up um, and uh, generally over time. And I think that's been mostly because he's going like 
being aggressive and going and getting the ball. And that's part, that's partly sitting fastball. And like he said, sit fastball, adjust to breaking ball. Don't try to be stuck in between or think breaking ball. Then you can't get the fastball. So that's, by the way, that's Austin Riley, uh, age 20 right now, going into his age 21 season for the Atlanta Braves, third base prospect, hasn't hit AAA yet either. So again, both he and Chavis could get a month at their team's AAA, uh, mostly for the contract aspect of it. The team can be like, they need a little bit more seasoning or whatever, but, uh, you know, it's not bad to give them at least a taste of AAA for a month and then bring them up. And I don't think either situation, uh, whether to get, Chavis at first base in Boston um, or or Riley at third base in Atlanta is so pressing that they would have to say, you know what, let's let's eschew the la- that extra year of service and bring them up right away. So I think both of them will definitely uh, I see, start. Yeah. Boy. yeah, I see Riley as a more prototypical kind of slugger guy with like a 10% walk rate, maybe 28% strikeout rate, 26, Agreed. something like that. He's going to strike out a fair amount, especially with this approach where he's trying to go get the fastball. He's going to, he's going to whiff over some breaking balls, but he's, He's going to sting the ball. He's going to be an exit velocity darling. I think he'll probably have a plus BABIP um, and plus power, uh, and he's going to be able to sting it from power alley to power alley. So I, I'm, I was in on him. Uh, Anybody else? Other, yeah, I mean, I talked to Sheldon Noisy. It was pretty funny because I put uh, I put uh, Sheldon Noisy, yeah, was former shortstop now playing third for Oakland. I put sunglasses on because we were behind home plate and uh, on TV. So I put sunglasses on just as – just to be funny, I don't know, just to troll people. You left uh, them on for like two innings. By I way, left Charlotte, them on. Charlotte's here right now. Everyone's then, oh, that was her tooth bumping into the mic. Silly time. I left the sunglasses on during my interview of Sheldon Noisy. Oh, that's right. After the you game at that. nighttime. Oh, <laughs> so, like uh, dildo from fan. Yeah, right. Who does he think Sunglasses he is? on at 10 at night. During <laughs> the this but, is what the major uh, leaks is like, man. That's weird. Yeah. He, he was. I was talking to him about unlocking raw power uh, into game power, and he said that once he gets too pull happy, uh, he put he hits everything on the ground and rolls over it. And that's true of his time in Double A, where he didn't hit any homers or fly balls. Yeah, mm-hmm. his biggest uh, pull rate. He's calmed that pull rate down in the in the All Star in the AFL. And um, but that that's interesting because I think that means he's going to be more of a batting average guy. Um, and then he has this bad strikeout rate. So I don't know that he's going to be plus power or plus batting average, but I do think maybe he'll be a regular. So, okay. um, at third, uh, he can hold third. Well, not in this organization. So I think maybe his future is at second. If Barreto doesn't work out or if Barreto okay. is the center. Um, and I think he could probably hit like, I don't know, 260, 310, 400, uh, maybe maybe a little bit more on the slugging, 420. Uh, that's probably like a 260 hitter, a little slightly above uh, on above average on base percentage and like 15 homers. So that, interesting. Way, it's not um, super great for fantasy, but it's you know it's a name to sort of think about. That's Sheldon Noisy, N-E-U-S-E, by the way, for spelling that. Uh, you might be looking at his minor league numbers. Pardon me, I'm sorry. Trade came over in the Doolittle and Madsen trade from the Nationals. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't know that. And I see now that they they had drafted him in the second round uh, in 2016. So he was a, he was a thought of guy. He did steal f- 14 bases this year. I don't know if there's any real speed there. This looks like a 22. It was 22 years old uh, this year and started the season in A ball and got 12 of those stolen bases. I think this was a, a more advanced guy taking advantage of 
raw catchers in a ball more than it is speed or do i have that wrong is there any speed component here with noisy um no i don't think okay. so he's kind of like this barrel chested he's an interesting uh, looking guy he's uh, a big dude yeah you could have yeah. said i don't think so tim that would have worked uh, <laughs> a lot better uh but just to fly through this last one uh last couple uh kyle tucker okay. uh talk to him uh, Houston looks almost exactly like uh, Cody Bellinger. Uh, Absolutely, a, a many, lot many of swings. The the one thing is uh, it was brought up by you know there's always a scouting panel um, at this event that we were at, and other scouts brought up that he's just not as athletic. He plays the corner outfield, but you know Bellinger played center, and I I don't think this guy has that sort of live athleticism, that kind of gracefulness. Um, Bellinger could hold Bellinger center for another few years. I think he could play center, yeah, this year. So uh, I think Tucker is a little bit more um, a corner outfielder than maybe first base down the line. But uh, I do think he has the bat for it. I think he, where Bellinger, uh, it's interesting because he only strikes out 20% of the time in the minor league, so he should have a better strikeout rate than Bellinger. But I'm not sure. I think they'll actually sort of meet in the middle and both be kind of 24% strikeout rate guys. Okay. Um but I talked to him about what about these strikeouts. You you went from having a ground ball swing to a fly ball swing, and now you got these strikeouts. Is that because of your swing? And he said uh, two things. He said, well, we widened out, and uh, and I am trying to go get the ball. So there is some some strikeouts that come with aggression. But A, the Astros have told me they don't care about strikeouts. And I said, what about the pop-ups? He said, B, the Astros have told me they don't care about pop-ups because uh, they want the fly ball. So um you know i think he'll probably have like a 280 babip you know 45 percent fly ball rate uh 30 home run power uh 240 250 batting average the obp is up in the air um you know in today's game that's like much more average than it sounds uh but it's still exciting for people looking for power what about Uh, his speed though because uh he's got 18 32 and 21 stolen bases in his three seasons kyle tucker does 20-year-old, has only had um, 72 games in the high minors, which would be double-A and triple-A. Um, those were all at double-A this year, and he went 8 for 12 on the bases. Is this a guy who's going to bring some double-digit speed to the majors? Yeah, it's funny, given what I said about athleticism and, and sort of liveness, that um, that Bellinger uh, never stole 30 bases like, like uh, Kyle Tucker did. Maybe the Dodgers don't care about – because, you know, I, I've heard this guy bring up that, like – Jock Peterson used to steal bases, and he keeps thinking that Jock Peterson's going to steal bases in the majors. That guy's an idiot, so just ignore him. But maybe something with the Dodgers where they have these athletic guys who could run, but they don't necessarily encourage it. Because I, I agree with you. I feel like Bellinger could steal double digits pretty easily in the majors. Um, but you know, you don't have to have speed to get 15 stolen bases. You actually just have to have uh, – Smarts on the bases and the green light to do it. Do you think Tucker evolves into somebody that that they allow to tack on ten to fifteen stolen bases with his mid twenties to low thirties pop? I think he could steal eight to ten. I mean, Bellinger stole ten, so yeah, I, I think he can steal double digit bases. Um, the only worry for me is OBP. Really, I think I think okay. it's going to be a low batting average. I think he's going to hit two fifty, two sixty. Thirty homers seems like you know in Houston. Uh, with this kind of swing, with all the fly balls he's hitting, it just seems like it's going to happen. I, 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 it seems really high floor, and then the ceiling 
if he if I'm wrong and he is athletic as Bellinger, and the ceiling is around Bellinger. So there's, I mean, I, it's really hard to find a problem with with uh, Kyle Tucker. Lots and, to like there. And he was very he was very nice and and mellow and sure of himself, and but not super cocky. And um, and then the last person I talked to was Tuki Toussaint, who talked about uh, just a couple things that might be relevant to our readers because I think he's close too. Um, he has a super high spin curveball. And when I, I told him that's something you've heard before, and he said, yes, sir. And then he called me sir the rest of the interview. Oh, my God. Uh, I love that. And I was like, I'm not that old. Damn it. Um, but uh, And you're a grandfather, 20, right? But, yeah, right? You're like, no, Tukey, stop. <laughs> but he said, uh, he said that was something he'd heard, but that the, the uh, Braves had taught him to kind of finish the curveball out further and finish it and finish it all the way out there. And so he's getting more depth on his curveball now. And if you watch it, it's a beautiful, beautiful plus pitch. Dangerous, yeah. With a high, with a high velocity, high spin fastball. I think those two pitches give him uh, the ability to be a starter, even if the changeup doesn't work out. And he thinks that he told me his changeup is the best pitch he's got. So I think he's really gonna. I think he's gonna be a starter. And he's in there building up innings. He's already at 144 uh, for 2017 without AFL added in. So. Um, you know, he's going to go into next year. He may not make the, the, uh, bigs next year, but maybe he does, um, depending on how it goes, right? Because he could maybe start, I could see this path for Tukey, um, start back in double A again. He only had seven starts there, get another seven to 10 starts, get a little triple A experience. And then if he dominates that triple A experience, they could call him up in the summer. I could totally, he's one of those guys that's on the cusp, right? It's going to kind of depend on how he develops, but I could easily see him in June, July if he goes out, takes what he's been learning this past year and at AFL and applies it to 2018 and has like a beastly first, you know, 15 to 20 starts in double A, triple A, I could see a summer call up. Yeah, exactly. And and he'll have the innings maybe to to get up to 180. Uh, the other thing that's relevant to his command is that he said the Braves uh, put him out of the stretch all the time. Okay. So that's something that major leaguers are doing left and right. There's a trend yep. in baseball is to, to go out of the stretch more and um, and just to simplify your delivery and, and just have one delivery. Why have two deliveries? So, um, you know, I think that could be a real way forward for him. And I'm going to take uh, I'm going to say he's better than all of his projections. Development is not linear. You know, he just went from one organization to another and all of his numbers got better in the new organization. I think they're harnessing his stuff better and making it better in terms of command and stuff. So I think this is a very interesting name to, to stay on top of. And I know it's kind of the easy thing to do, but I especially agree with him because he has two plus pitches. The worst case scenario is devastating reliever. Like I, I, I outside of obviously the injury stuff, we're talking guy who makes the majors and plays and stays healthy. The worst case I think would be beastly back end reliever for Tukey two saints so um keep an eye on him yeah yeah sure. he's a reliever he's a closer i mean yeah yes definitely, definitely exactly okay well we're gonna go ahead and wrap up there um that's a good episode i like this one we covered a lot of stuff here i thought i was like oh what are we gonna talk about and then start putting it together all of a sudden we got like eight eight <laughs> topic points uh now we gotta have to go have uh justin's birthday celebration by uh seeing who wins the mvp who do you got for mvps uh, uh you know you first then i'm gonna ask justin i think it's gonna be altuve and and now the NL one I think is really interesting. Oh, I have no idea. I mean, for me it's Votto, but I think I, it's I don't know. I think the the Rockies might split the vote. I think that's why they didn't get a finalist. Maybe Stanton. Um, I I think those fifty nine homers Who are the could finalists? really could care. Uh, it's Votto, Stanton, Goldschmidt. 
Yeah, I think it's ten. I think we could see six six guys get first place votes with those three plus um, Rendon, Blackman, and Arenado all getting um, first place votes. That that could be really interesting. But I, I'm with you. I I I want Votto, but I think it's going to be Stanton uh, and also Altuve. Justin, what do you think about the MVPs? Yeah, I think it's gonna be Judge, but I think it should have been Al- Al- Altuve. The one thing I think, and I don't think this is necessarily fair, is I think some voters are going to say he's getting the rookie of the year guaranteed. I'm going to give the MVP to the guy who's been around longer. I'm not saying I agree with that. That should not really enter your thinking, but I'm trying to guess the electorate. I really think some 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 people will do that, and that's why it'll sway to uh, Altuve in a tight vote. Anyway, let's wrap it up. Happy yeah, birthday, Justin. Have a good just- one. You know, there's going to be a lot of people who think that uh, we should count the strikeouts against uh, against Judge, Which is and that that Altuve is more of. A, and also, actually, you know what? It, they're really, really close if you look at all the wins of our replacement numbers. Like the, it could just be I I like this little dude, and you know? yeah, no, and I I get it. Like it, it, that's you're going to have to kind of find reasons because the stats don't really separate them. They 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 really don't. So I think that's what it's going to make be really interesting to see how close it is and. You know, hats off to uh, Jose Ramirez getting third place because he's a finalist. And so that means he got third place. But uh, I think these two are going to be super close. And then the NL, I could see it also being super close between f- like five guys. I could see the winner only winning. You know, I I don't know the point system, so I don't know what would necessarily be a, a narrow race in a, in a five team and a five guy there. But I could see five, six guys being pretty dang tight there uh with no clear winner but i do think those 59 if it was 60 homers i would say stanton without a doubt i think that 60 number would really carry it but 59 <laughs> i do think it's gonna carry. I, i'm being serious we I are such fickle insane. we are such fickle minds <laughs> it's one homer but it's that it's that zero it's that 60 i think that would have been automatic i think the fact that he only had 59 is going to make it a little bit closer but in the end i do think he uh he, he pulls it out uh, over vado even though Votto should get it every year just for being Votto. They should have a Votto award just when they give him a really dope trophy. But anyway, we got to get out of here. That's going to be about 20 minutes away until the MVP. We'll be back next week. Take care. Thanks for listening. <laughs>